What's up, guys? Ryan Horn here, and welcome to the Extraordinary Man Podcast. This is the one and only podcast specifically designed to help married businessmen create more profit and purpose in their business without sacrificing their family, health, or marriage in the process. Each week, I interview some of the world's most extraordinary men, including seven- and eight-figure entrepreneurs, elite athletes, best-selling authors, and world-class speakers. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Charles Karuku. Dr. Charles has been in ministry since 1991. He is also a seasoned apostle to the nations. He's a mentor, trainer, and speaker whose greatest passion is to equip others for ministry. He is the president of the Unity Movement, the vision of which is to unite communities and offer hope that leads to city transformation. He's traveled to over 135 cities across America speaking this message of hope. Pastor Charles, it's great to have you here today. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks, Ryan, for having me. I'm doing very well. You're looking good, man. <laughs> Thank you. You are too. You know, I just want to take a minute before we get started here too, just to honor you because I've had massive spiritual growth under your mentorship the last six years. And, you know, you're an incredible man of God. And I'm just really grateful to know you and your entire family and very appreciative of everything that you've done for me over the years. So thank you. Thank you, man. I'm proud of what you've accomplished and you've taken it way beyond what we could have imagined. We appreciate so much the courage. Uh, to to do what you're doing. Thank you. Let's jump straight in. You know, you're originally from Kenya. Could you tell our listeners your backstory and how you ended up in Minnesota? Well, backstory a little bit is I grew up typically like a little Kenyan boy. I was born in a little difficult situation. My father was killed six months before my birth. They didn't even know I was in there until after the funeral. And so I'd never get to know him. But the circumstances leading to my birth was that three days before Christmas of 1970, my mother was just working in the farm and she was toiling because she had five kids. And I was coming up as baby number six on top of all the other orphans that had been there orphaned after the death of my father. And she decided to get off the farm because she had pain in her belly. And on that Tuesday, afternoon of 1970, December 22, three days before Christmas. I was born on a dirt floor and there was no doctor or nurse in the room, but a neighbor lady came to help my mom with a little razor blade to cut a ubeco cord. I don't know if I was the best blessing of my mom for Christmas or the worst nightmare because having six kids without a father at the age of mid-30s that was very, very tragic. Wow. Yeah. So what was it like growing up in Africa, in Kenya? And then how did you decide to become a pastor and then eventually make your way to Minnesota? Well, I'll answer first how it feels to grow in Kenya. It's growing at a dollar a day. I mean, we're talking 25 cents, living off the earth. Uh, we grew up in a very fertile soil and we would eat from the bush and get wild fruits and eat off the earth, slaughter animals. I kept goats. I kept rabbits for, for food, chicken, all kinds of animals that we would use for meat, and then we lived off the earth. So there was no finances and money economy. It was more of a subsistent living. And that meant 
although we went to bed with you know full stomach from the milk and the produce from the earth and the animal meat we never had money and so when it came to clothes shoes i had no shoes i had no change of clothes and so that was a kind of life in kenya in terms of the poverty but we had no idea we were poor i didn't know about it and i just found out later on in my life that we were very very poor because we had joy we had family we had a lot of time to play with neighbors we had so much fun playing soccer out of plastic bags that were all mashed together to form a ball and we would use it as soccer and volleyball and and run around the community we didn't have a care in the world and so that was our life growing up and my mother loved god and took us to church and so we had the religious part taken care of going to school without shoes and living off the earth and it just became like we are having a good time so how did you get into ministry and become a pastor well growing up in kenya my mom taking me to a baptist church that was started by an american preacher called robert moffat uh, my mom would take me there she was the sunday school teacher teaching the kids the bible and uh, i grew up with a little bit of that but i never quite gave myself completely to god so i had my teenage rebellion but then when i was 18 years old i gave my heart to jesus christ and i came to a place of an encounter with him in a way that i knew i'm not only going to be serving god but i'm also going to be doing something that will be a little bigger than i thought um it was to leave everything behind and just follow the lord but uh, i went to college i became a teacher in a high school teacher graduated with a bachelor's degree and the more i taught in high school english and literature the more i got convinced that my calling was not to be a school teacher but to be a minister so i continued to organize students in my high school and i became the patron of the christian union and that meant i would preach the sunday services i would put together prayer meetings i pretty much became the pastor of the students in high school and the community around me began calling me to minister and so being in college being in high school teaching ministering to the community around me pretty much every weekend i was out there doing something for god and that became the the way i was put into ministry and finally i had a call of god in my heart to come to the united states and be a part of a revival that i saw would be coming to this nation that was in 1994 and that's when i said yes to god and as i say all the time when you give god your yes you let him do the rest within 2 years i found myself in the united states uh, pursuing this great call of god on my life that's awesome could you go into a little more detail about how exactly you came to the us because it wasn't very easy right it was there's some challenges along the way well it was very challenging ryan because when you're making under a dollar a day luckily for me i was making 48 dollars a month and that's not enough to get you from one side of town to the other leave alone coming to the united states so what it happened was i said yes god i want to come to the united states and honor be a part of the revival you showed me in a vision 
because the vision I had was like rain falling on a huge audience of people. And I was in front of that audience on a stage preaching. And I knew I'll be a part of something big. But anyway, when I said yes, the tag began coming in my heart. And I had a friend who was here in the United States who sent me an application letter to apply for college here, uh, a Bible college. And I applied for a Bible college. They accepted me and actually gave me a very big discount to come. So all what I needed to raise was $650 to pay for the college. And I also needed to raise an air ticket to come. But I needed also to show the embassy of the United States that I can support myself. I mean, we had enough. We wanted to show that. So I called all my friends. I said to them, hey, help me out to buy a ticket to go to America and to pay this $650 for the first semester and also help me out to get some money in my pocket. Everybody came in and helped. I sold some of the stuff I had. I took all the money I had saved. And long story short, I was able to purchase one-way ticket and I had $200 left in my pocket by the time I added to, to America. I thought that was a lot of money because it was a lot of money in Kenya, but it went like that when I came to the United States. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. So that, that ties perfectly into the next thing I want to ask you about, which is purpose, because a lot of people struggle with that. How do you discover your purpose? Well, for me, it was, first of all, Ryan, that's a great question because there are three days that are so important in your life. Uh, John Maxwell says there are two days, but a good friend of mine, Mr. Dell, he says there are three days that are important in your life. The first day is the day you are born. And the second day is the day you discover your purpose. But I want to tell you that that most important day in your life is the day you take action and accomplish, begin accomplishing that purpose. So for me, it was one thing to be born, it was another thing to discover my purpose. And I discovered my purpose by giving myself back to the one who created me for a purpose. And I give this analogy, this comparison with a vehicle. If you drive a Ford, a Ford dealership would be the best place to take your vehicle to fix it if it goes wrong, because they know why and how they created it. They build it in Michigan. They put it all together there in Detroit. And they know the best way to fix it if it's broken. And so only the manufacturer of a thing understands the thing he manufactured and the purpose to which he did it. And so for me, I had to go discover why God created me by turning myself over to him. I was going to college to pursue law. I wanted to be a lawyer. My heart desire was to be a lawyer, to get the bad guys behind bars. I was doing that to revenge for the death of my father by going after the bad guys. And that was not the purpose to which God created me. That was the purpose I wanted to do for myself. But when I went back to my creator and I asked him to show me why I'm here, he showed me you're here to serve me in the capacity I'm doing today. And so I discovered my purpose because I discovered a relationship with the one who created me, God, and God showed me why he created me. And now my dad day was the day I began to do that purpose, which was in 1991. I just began to take a baby step to say yes 
I'm going to be who you created me to be, a voice of truth to my generation. And when you give me a voice, whether it's two minutes or a minute and a half, I'm going to just proclaim that. And I just began with the baby steps. And when you give God your yes, he does the rest. Amen. So what would you tell to someone who they feel like they know what their purpose is maybe now, but they feel overwhelmed by it. They don't know what to do. They don't know what the next step is. And they don't believe that they can actually do it because maybe it's so big. Well, Ryan, the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. Uh, Sometimes you can get the analysis paralysis where you get overwhelmed. And I do that sometimes, you know, writing a book or traveling across America. If you see the big picture and allow it to overwhelm you, you get paralyzed. But it is good sometimes to just begin one step. The Chinese proverb says, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And it's one step at a time. And so I would say, begin doing something you love because purpose and passion are connected. Passion is what you love to do without being paid and you're still excited about it. You're still joyful and satisfied that you've accomplished something that really, really triggers your heart to feel accomplished. And it's like you're in your element. You don't even need encouragement or motivation. You're right there in your element. And so I would just say, love it and begin doing it. Just begin with one little step. And a small step can turn into a thousand miles of a journey. And you look back a year, two, three, five years later, and you're like, wow, God, you've really brought me this far. And it becomes an amazing journey. Great stuff. That's really practical. I love how you put that passion and purpose are connected. I think a lot of men today are confused about what their role is. What is the biblical role of a man? Well, it's easy for a man to be confused about their role, Ryan, because men sometimes wrap their identity with their role, with what they do. Like uh, if you're an engineer or if you're an artist or maybe you're a business person or a coach like you are, uh, you begin to feel like that is your identity and you begin to wrap yourself around a role. And so when men fail in a role, it feels like they have failed in their identity. It feels like they have lost a piece of themselves. But the, the simple part here, Ryan, is to understand that our identity is not based on accomplishment and accolades. It is actually based on a relationship we have with God who created us. So when we begin to build our identity out of a relationship with God, no matter who we are, where we are with life, we are loved. God is a father to us. And we are a son that is he is proud of. And so the biblical role of a man is, first of all, to discover who he is, his identity rooted not in accomplishment and accolades, but above all, a, a relationship with God. That's a biblical role, number one. But also, I'm going to just say quickly here, a man is called to be a provider, a protector, a prophet, and a priest. Now, let me not confuse you with this prophet stuff. Prophet is simply speaking truth 
and hope with encouragement, affirmation to your children. And this is very important to just speak them from the bottom to the top, encourage them. I remember my father-in-law recently, he shook my head. He said, Charles, I'm so proud of you. You are in your groove. My father was not there growing up, but my father-in-law has become a good father to me. And when he spoke those words, I have been told a million times all over the country by tens of thousands of people and maybe even hundreds of people personally, but tens of thousands who've affirmed who I am and ministry-wise. But it doesn't have the same weight like what came from my father-in-law. And what I can tell you is it affirmed to me the power of the voice of a father to their children, a man affirming those around him, whether it's your children, whether it's your spouse, that affirmation it goes way deep, but also lack of it or a negative affirmation destroys as much as a positive would uplift. Amazing. So I'm curious, you know, obviously you didn't grow up with a dad. Uh, was that really difficult for you? And was, was it challenging to try to relate to God the Father without actually growing up with a father? Absolutely, Ryan. Uh, growing out without a father robs you of something that is irrepressible unless you find your healing in, relationship, in the relationship with God the Father. And so growing up without a father, it made me afraid, uh, low self-esteem. And I can tell you, much of that was fear coming out through all the insecurities of not feeling protected. And also one other thing was I envied the kids who had a father. And um, my vision of God, when I would close my eyes as a kid, I would see this big dude with a gray beard hanging all over. He is fat. He is on a chair. He is holding a stake, waiting for me to make any kind of mistake. And he whack me. That was the kind of a God I would look at, a punitive God, not a loving father. And when you have that image, it's a distorted image of a father. And so I suffered from a father's wood. And a father's wood is a wood of just the orphan spirit of feeling abandoned, uncovered, feeling insecure, and having a very difficult relationship relating with, with, with the father. I'd like to talk a little bit also about why it's so important for men to be the spiritual leaders of their family. As I said, a man is a prophet and a priest on top of being a provider and a protector. Many men do very well with the providing, the working hard, the protecting, you know, the guarding the home and making everybody feel safe when they are in there. But many men fail in their priest, priestly role and their prophetic role. And this is where you cannot enter into that priesthood and prophet role of a, of a father or a man without a relationship with God. And in fact, even in the level of providing, unless you know God is the sole provider and you a relationship with God helps you tap into his provision, again, you become limited and it all becomes work, work, work to provide other than even allowing God to actually perform miracles of provision like ideas and grace and favor. And so the spiritual role of a father as a priest 
priests are people who offer sacrifices and prayers for the people. So really being able to be the man who prays. And we need to be the men who don't want to leave that to our wives. And sometimes men are not spiritual. They say, my wife is, you know, my pastor. My wife is the leader of spiritual here. But your wife can be a pastor. Your wife can even be a prophet. But when she comes home, the man is the priest of that home. And God expects a man to do that. So I would expect men to be praying, to be blessing the home, to be speaking life. That's a prophetic role, speaking affirmation, speaking joy, speaking you can do it, and just providing that spiritual covering uh, that makes everyone feel safe. Great way of explaining that and, and lots of great practical stuff in there. So you wrote a book a little while ago called Forgiveness Therapy, When Forgiveness is the Only Cure. Could you tell us a little bit about it and why you decided to write it? Well, that book was 2017, uh, rehearsing an, an encounter I had in 2015. And I can tell you, Ryan, this was a very important book, uh, putting a closure to how my father died. And so I wrote that book because the Lord spoke to my heart to go and forgive the man who killed my father. So I flew from Minneapolis, went back to Africa. I found this man. I tracked him down and I caught him before he could get out of his bed. It was a very urgent assignment. I actually went there and I got him out of his bed in the morning. And we had one of the most powerful conversations about my father's death. And I was able to put a closure and I was also able to open a new chapter of forgiving this man who killed my father. And we came from being worst enemies to best friends. And from that journey of foes to friends, I got a revelation about how to forgive. And we are talking of over 40 years since my father's death, uh, I had to go and do this 40-year journey. And I walk people through in this book on some of the lessons I learned about forgiveness, especially the main lesson being forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. And when you choose forgiveness, you're choosing the best God's way of doing things. And when you choose those ways of doing things, as God has allowed and spoken, what happens to you is that you may feel nothing, but your choice to forgive will begin to slowly heal your emotions and your emotions of pain, bitterness, anger, resentment. Those emotions are going to begin to lift off from you because you are walking out his will and he will allow your choices and your feelings to line up. And it may take a little while, but it will not take forever. Wow, that is really powerful. All right, I'm going to ask you a question that I think a lot of people are, are not quite sure how they would answer this. So what is faith? Well, we can answer faith in a theological way. Uh, it is a, a, a Greek word, pisteuo, and um, faith, Hebrews 11 verse 1 is, defines faith as the substance of the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the ability to perceive as real what is not revealed to the senses. But 
to break down all this jargon of theology, I'll just simply say faith is simply knowing God. It's knowing God's character, his integrity, how he keeps his word and promises. It is knowing God's ability, God's power that he cannot fail and putting all your trust in that. You know, people say your word is your board, a a good name. Your word is your board. And people are like, I can trust so-and-so because they are a man or a woman of their word. And you know what? God is a God of his word. But when he gives his word on something, he will do it because he has the power to do that. He will not be like, I gave you my word, but sorry, I failed because I could not do it. And so faith is simply knowing God like that and putting all your trust and all your hope in him. Faith comes by hearing from God. When God speaks and he says something, you know he will do it. So you throw all your faith into that. You throw all your trust in that. You hold it firm. And faith is like holding tight with a grip and not letting go. It's to get a hold of it, holding it tight with a grip. And that is what it means to receive by faith is to hold tight with a grip and not let go. That's an incredible answer. I, I love that explanation. All right. So this kind of ties into that. I mean, could you share maybe an example or two from your own life of how you've seen God show up for you or your family? Well, I'll give you a story that just happened a couple of months ago. I was, you know, I lead a movement here in Minneapolis that we're going to talk a little bit about. It's called Unity Movement. We unite communities. We offer hope that leads to city transformation. And uh, one of our assignments is to build hope houses. So we develop these hope houses in crime-held areas of Minneapolis. And we have this home that showed up a mile away from George Floyd Memorial. It was 10-bedroom house, 5,000 square feet, going for half a million dollars, over half a million dollars. My friend sent this to me and said, hey, Charles, look at this home. It fits the criteria of what you want. Uh, Would you want to pursue it? I said, yes, I would, but let me pray about it because we don't have the money, right? He said, okay, you have two days to think about it, get back to me so that I can release it back into the market. Anyway, He held it for me for two days. I went before God. I began to pray and I asked God, do you want us to pursue this home or not? God said, yes, do it. I had that in my spirit and I knew how God speaks because he has spoken to me a lot in in the times before. He spoke to my heart and he said, go after this home. So we said yes. And I had no money. I had no half a million dollars. I didn't have all that. Anyway, it was on a Wednesday. I called this man. I said, I'm coming to your office on Friday and we want to go ahead with this property. Anyway, on Friday, I went to him in the month of June. I said, okay, let's do whatever we need to do to get this going. He said, okay, I will need from you $125,000 by next month. I said, I'll bring it to you. And I, I didn't have it. So long story short, when I said yes to God, I Held on his promise, I said, I believe you because you've spoken. And when you speak, I get faith. When I get faith from you, from your word speaking to my heart, then I can act on it and you can perform that word. I'll tell you what happened, Ryan. By the time I got back home 
from that office of this realtor friend of mine who lives like 10 minutes away from my house. On my way to my house, before I could even reach my house, I had received miraculously $104,000. $104,000. Wrong story short, by the time I needed to close that house, I had received $170,000. I received far above and beyond what we, want, we wanted for that house. And I'll tell you this, that to me was one of the most powerful miracles, not because of the financial aspect of it, but because it was like walking out this journey. I have stories after stories of how God has helped me hang on him by faith, including bringing me to America and having me where I am today. It's been a journey of faith. Yeah, that's an amazing story. I think it's so encouraging to, to hear things like that. And I know we could literally talk for hours about all of your stories, but let's jump in a little bit more. So you you mentioned the unity movement and you know, you're a pastor for 20 years, and then you recently transitioned to this new role. Tell us a little bit more about how all that came about and what you're doing now. Well, I've been a pastor here for 20 years in uh, Minneapolis area. And then in 2020, what happened is after the death of George Floyd here in Minneapolis, riots broke out and it was chaos and mayhem all over the city. Plus, they began to spread across America. Uh, I was praying and fasting for 40 days. During the day the riot started, it was day number 39. And so God was preparing me without my knowledge for a moment that was about to happen 40 days before I started the first. So anyway, long story short, my wife and myself responded to the chaos in the city. We are a biracial family uh, and we responded together with my kids and my wife. And we said, you know what? We are not doing this just for the city. We are doing this for ourselves. We need to go minister to the black, the white, and the brown, and we need to speak a different type of message of unity, healing, and reconciliation. So we stood on that corner of that year in Chicago, right where John Floyd died on May 31, and with a bullhorn in my hand, I began to speak to the people, and I asked the people to repent, to turn to God, and to repent to each other, and I told them to use this moment to let the healing begin. And when we did that, hundreds of people came running to where I was speaking and they fell on their knees and lifted up their hands, began to pray and cry out to God. As they were getting up from their knees, they began hugging across racial boundaries, the black hugging the whites, the browns and, the, and all colors in between hugging each other, crying on each other's shoulders and praying for forgiveness. And I'll tell you what happened I saw instant racial reconciliation and the media began to say the riot has turned to a revival because we kept on coming night after night all the way from May 31, 2020 to August, August 8, 2020. We kept on coming, getting people to pray the prayer of repentance and to forgive each other. We baptized people in water and the media kept on saying the riot has turned to revival. So I found this is a new calling of God to unite communities, to bring hope that leads to city transformation. And we began to spread it all over the country. I've been to over 135 cities. I'm heading to 136 cities this coming weekend. And I'll tell you what, 
uh, this movement has taken all our time, all our attention, and I had to dedicate my heart and time uh, to this movement. And so that's why I had to transition out from being a pastor to being a leader who unites communities and brings hope that brings city transformation. Yeah, absolutely amazing. It's been really cool to see your journey and, and how God has been using you. And that I can't wait to see in 2022 what happens. And also, I know you mentioned a little bit earlier also that you do some stuff locally and the Hope Houses. Could you just share briefly a little bit about that too? Well, here locally, we work with the Teen Charity of Minneapolis. Uh, we work with uh, churches and different organizations here in Minneapolis. We have partnerships and our, our role here with the Hope Houses, a Hope House is a place where we can get to know our neighbors. We can have people who live in that Hope House use that Hope House as a place of reaching out to their neighborhood, creating relationships, having conversations. Also, we use the Hope House to bless the people around by bringing food, bringing, like we brought we brought turkey to the Hope Houses and the community around. We gave clothes. We gave bikes. We just come to do good things to the community. You know, one of the things Jesus did, he went everywhere doing good. It doesn't matter whether people are Muslims or Buddhists, Christians or atheists. Everybody likes someone who is doing good. So these are Hope Houses, is place for hope in the city, in the community and doing good in the hood, pretty much. So we go there, we do good. And also we have what we call urban mission right there uh, from the Hope House, spreading hope around the community where they are. We realize every crime and every bad neighborhood has a house in that community that houses criminals and bad behavior that begins to increase crime in the area. But what if we reversed that model and we put hope houses in every zip code, every block, that we would have a place where hope is spreading. And before you realize, uh, light overcomes darkness every day. And so we want to see hope arise and communities heal. That's so awesome what you guys are doing. All right. The next question, I'm actually really excited to ask this question because I've never asked you this question before. So what are some of your favorite Bible verses and why? The best day of your life is the day you are born, the day you realize your purpose, and the day you do it. And I'll tell you, the book of Genesis 1.26 is that verse that puts all that together. It says, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and have dominion. It is the blessing that was spoken by God to the man he created. And I can remember even in your wedding, uh, you and your wife, Brittany, great couple, I love you both. Uh, that verse is so favorite of mine that I was so happy to even speak it in your wedding. And so it keeps me going every day to know that I'm created to be fruitful, I'm blessed, and I'm created to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish the earth, and to have dominion. And that's what makes me feel like, hey, with this verse in my heart, I can take take over the world pretty much. It's, it's that inspiring to me. Amen. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that that is the anchor verse that Brittany and I have for our marriage as well. So that's, that's really cool to hear that coming from you as well. All right. Last question for you. What is your definition of an extraordinary man? 
I think an extraordinary man is a man who knows who he is and knowing who you are by knowing who you belong to. That's an extraordinary man. Muscles don't make you an extraordinary man. Height does not make you an extraordinary man. The size of your bank account does not make you an extraordinary man. It's an inside job. And so I want our extraordinary strength, intellect, intelligence, wisdom, knowledge, whatever we would add to that, uh, to all be coming because of our relationship with God. Fantastic answer. All right. So where can people go to find out more about you and connect with you and everything you're doing with Unity Movement? Well, you can connect with me by going straight to my website, charleskaruku.com. charleskaruku.com. It's simple. It will lead you to everything else we do. Or you can simply type Charles Karuku and you Google me everywhere. You find a lot of stories and um, hopefully that can help you get to know us more. Awesome. Yeah, I will make sure there's a link to that down in the show notes below. But Pastor Charles, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Love you, man. God bless. Guys, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Extraordinary Man podcast. Here's the thing. You're never going to maximize your potential on your own. So I'm personally inviting you to come and join me in the private Extraordinary Man Facebook group so you can level up your business and your life. Just head over to Facebook and type Extraordinary Man into the search box and it will show up as the first result. Iron sharpens iron and this is the number one place for you to connect with me and other like-minded men who are on a mission to maximize their potential. My goal is to help you become the man God created you to be in all areas of your life. So come and join us in the Facebook group and upgrade your business and your life. I'll see you on the next episode.